0: Hi, this is Conversations About Adoption, and I'm your host, Jen. I was inspired last week by somebody on TikTok who claimed to be an adoptive parent and was saying things that are extremely problematic for people in the adoption community. They were talking about ownership of their child which didn't make much sense to a lot of us. And they were also talking about being worried about the child loving their biological mother more than them. They were clearly making it all about them. And I saw a lot of adoptees commenting to them with this sort of quote of, you're the kind of adoptive parent that adoptees choose to go no contact with. And I was really thinking a lot about that topic, and I, and I decided it would be a really good group conversation. I had a lot of people that were very, very interested in participating in this group, um, but as I'm still new to trying to organize this sort of thing, I there was like technical discrepancies and some people didn't make it some people never got the invitation so I'm gonna try to figure out how to do this in a, in a better more efficient way in the future and I'm so sorry for the people who didn't get to participate because the more the merrier however even with just eight of us talking we talked for two hours so that's why I've decided to break it up into two separate episodes and um you'll hear why these various adoptees have cut contact with their adoptive families and um you know it's a very difficult decision i don't think anybody ends up on that lightly um one person i don't think they've cut contact but they have very much limited it so it's a very interesting conversation if you are listening on spotify There is an area at the bottom of the show notes where you can enter in text. I'm going to be asking um, various questions relating to the topics of each of the different podcasts or the people's stories, and you can enter something in there for other people to read and continue the discussion in the comments, and I welcome that. Um, So, without any further uh, ado... Let's get into this particular section of this conversation about why adoptees choose to stop contact with their adoptive parents. Okay, so we are having a conversation with some adoptees who have made the most likely difficult decision to decide to go no contact with their adoptive parents. And we're going to talk about The reasons why they have made that choice um i'm jen of course i both my adoptive parents are deceased my dad died when i was 19 and my mom in 2008 um and so i but i am barely in contact with my adopted sister now and it's just it is what it is so um khaleesi you want to go ahead and introduce yourself please
1: Yes, Kalisi is okay. my alias. Uh, and I'm adopted from Colombia to Norway. Came to Norway when I was nine months old. And I am now 34.
0: And do you want to pick the next person? Oh, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, Michelle
0: Hensley.
2: Hi, um, I'm Michelle, and I am an adoptee. Um, born in 1969, so the height of the V scoop era here in the US. I am in reunion with members of my birth family, um, both sides. Um, I have a very long story about that. Um, however, I am also uh, currently no contact with my adoptive family, my siblings. Both my parents have passed away. but. Um, the reason I've chosen to go new no contact is something we'll get into,
1: I'm sure.
0: You want to pick um, I'm sorry. Oh,
2: the next person, Ruth.
3: Hi, I'm Ruth. Um, I'm an adaptee. I was born in 55 in New York City. Uh, so, baby scoop. I... I am no contact with my adoptive family. I was raised with a brother, we're not biologically related, he's deceased. I waited to go no contact with my adoptive mother until after my father died, my adoptive father died. Um, i been in reunion with my birth family and have been for 28 years, my adoptive, my birth family. Well, I have siblings left and cousins, but my parents are dead. Oh yeah, uh, Maria.
4: I'm Maria, I go by Nikki and I'm a 1965 Baby Scoop adoptee. I was born in California and adopted at the age of three in 1968 to Minnesota and I was very, very minimal contact um, up until a few years ago. And it's both of my uh, adoptive parents, formerly adoptive parents, I vacated my adoption, but both of them are still alive and they live not too far from me, but I haven't spoken to them in years. Um, And I'm in reunion uh, with my father's family. He passed away and then a failed reunion with my mother and her and then my siblings failed. And I pass. Kimberly, are you the podcast host? I can't that's, tell who's That's me, Jen. <laughs> Jen. Okay, then can I pass to Kimberly? Yeah. Hello.
2: Um, oh, sounds weird with my headphones on. Um I'm Kim. Um I am a baby scuba adoptee, um, late 60s. Um I was adopted as an infertility band-aid. Um the reason I cut off contact with um, my adoptive father, my adoptive mother died when I was a teenager. Um, but uh, I came out of the fog three and a half years ago. Um, and since then, it just the lack of acknowledgement, Um, not listening. Um, I wasn't allowed to express how I really feel. Um, he centered his his own feelings. And to me, whether he, you know, whether I consider him my real father or not, um, the roles here are parent and child. And in, in my very strong opinion, parents the job the job is never over until they're gone your job is to listen to your children and not stomp all over their feelings he he i think it was a bit narcissism lack of self-awareness um and just defensiveness and probably some age um he he died last month at 89 but he threw out pretty much everything (laughs) that you would see on an, a bingo card. He, he just would not listen, kept saying things that were just incredibly hurtful, not out of malice, but out of willful ignorance. And I could not take it anymore. And um, you know, Nikki, <laughs> it came to a head um, because I, I want my original identity back. I'm in reunion, glorious reunion with my maternal side. Um, my, my mother is dead, but I've got, um, uncles and cousins who are wonderful and we're crazy about each other. Um, I, I want my identity back. The only way that I knew how to do that after trying, you know, anything was to annul my adoption. Um, so I asked for that and that was it. He just, you know, I became the bad guy he totally darbo me. So what makes me horribly sad about it, I'm, I'm now into my story here, um, is that I adored him like no other when I was little. He was my safety, my security. I used to tell him he was the handsomest man in the world and I meant it. Um, I just adored him. I think, I think it was a little bit of trauma bonding because my adoptive mother scared the shit out of me. She wanted me to be something that I couldn't be. So yeah, anyway, I feel like I'm doing better but it's still hard. It's mm. you know, I feel like I started my my grief process of losing my adoptive father well before he died. So
0: Sarah, yeah. do you want to introduce yourself?
5: Yeah, I'm going to keep my camera off cuz I look a little messy. But um yeah, my name's Sarah. Um, I am a foster care adoptee. I was adopted in the late 90s. I'm not exactly sure how old I was when I was adopted. I was a toddler. Um, My adoptive parents said when I was three or four, and that puts uh, that around the time of the Adoption and Safe Families Act. Um, And we can talk more about what that is later if you don't know. Um, But um, I do child welfare advocacy primarily on TikTok. um, And I came out of the fog, um, about three years ago. Um, it completely rocked my world. Um, I have been no contact with my adoptive parents for, um, just about a little over a year now at this point. Um, I am in contact with some of my adoptive family, sometimes, um, like extended, um, and my sister. Um, but that's really about it. It's people who are still receptive to me. Um, There's a lot of people in my adoptive family who are no longer receptive of me because of the decision I made to go no contact with my adoptive parents. Um, And um, yeah, so that's a little bit about where I'm at. Oh, I was also adopted as an infertility band aid.
0: Sarah, do you want to talk about you said it's only been a year for you. What was the reason, if you don't mind, talking about why you chose to go no contact with your adoptive parents?
5: Yeah. Um, so that's a good question. The primary reason was they could not actually fathom how some of um the things that they did were hurting me. Um, they were hurting me emotionally and on a mental health level. Um, and it. Like whenever I would see them after I came out of the fog, there would be like a two week long period. It felt like where I was, I would just have a really, really rough time getting out of bed. Um, I would be incredibly depressed. Um, And I, I, I'm a parent and I couldn't afford to do that. Like I couldn't afford to keep doing that and be a parent um, to my kids. Um, So that's kind of like the cliff notes version of it. Um, And there there are some other little things, too. And, you know, credit where it's due. I do think that my adoptive parents um, did a good job about validating sometimes how I would feel around the separation with my biological family, but there were things that they couldn't acknowledge um, on how they were hurting me and how they would continue to hurt me when it came to my adoption story and the narrative around my adoption.
0: Did your adoptive parents know that you were advocating on TikTok?
5: I'm sure they know now. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I'm sure they know now. I haven't, I have never talked to them about it. Um, so, I, I guess I don't actually know what they know. Um, I doubt that they watch my TikToks. Um, I try actually really hard to not talk about them a whole lot because I don't want to make my TikTok really about me um i want my tiktok to really be more about um advocacy and how we move forward as a collective um and facts and statistics and data and and common experiences not necessarily personal ones um and it's really interesting because you know i like i said i've been no contact for a little over a year now and um there are not very many people who ask me why this is probably one of this is going to be probably the most in-depth conversation with somebody outside of my own home. Um, that I've had this conversation with. Like no one in my adoptive family has asked. Um, no one in my biological family has really asked. Um, so I'm I'm very excited about this. Well, <laughs> oh, great. Um
0: anybody else wanna have anything to say about their reasoning for going no contact? Khaleesi, you have a hand up.
1: Yeah, I realized I was the only one who didn't mention anything like that in my introduction. So, as I understand it, I think I'm the only one who is, um, I call it semi non-contact, um, because I'm very distant to them of choice, and uh, I and I think because I have a a child. For me, in my situation, I see it as as long as my adoptive parents, or in particular one of them, um, is not harmful towards my child and not harmful towards me in particular in front of or my child or talk about me in a bad way to my child. I have decided that I will do what I can when I have the capacity for them to maintain a relationship as a child and a grandparent and my, my child is under the age of 10 as well um so I found that uh, important to do but due to I've told my adoptive mom in particular that our issues is not issues between the two of you But all things considered, it is not, I don't, my my mom doesn't live in the city I live in. It's like an hour away. So, um, but due to me also having a certain distance, it's not a very close grandparent, grandchild relationship. But I'm not at a place where I, for instance, would say no if my child wanted to meet their grandparents or the other way around. And for me, the reason, the distance has been like over years, years and years, but it has been further and further. I think it has been since I was a teenager in a sense, but then I was living uh, with them. They were divorced, so i split my time. And uh, then it was more in the nature of, I maybe didn't share as much from my personal life and I mean maybe more than what one might expect from a teenager because I didn't feel emotionally secure with them and I still don't and I find it um, and I've never doubted that they you know love me and care about me and wanted me and all of that jazz but in my situation also it's a matter of and that's in particular with my adopted mom Uh, physical and emotional uh, abuse and it hasn't essentially stopped either uh, even into my adulthood and I remember when I was I don't know maybe 10, 8 to 10 years old something she told me that I think she was drunk she was a bit heavy on the alcohol at times doesn't justify it of course but she told me that I sometimes I think you're so awful that I wish you went back to where you came from wow and uh, uh that's hard enough for any kid but for for me as an, a transnational adoptee also it's like well I, obviously I know where I'm adopted from but that's still not a home and it's just mean in so many ways so that's like a phrase that follows me and then there's been a lot of other stuff. And just in 2018, she told me, because she was mad about something, and she told me that I hope that your child doesn't have to grow up with you as a mother. And there's there's a lot of stuff like that. So, I, I, I mean, when she said that, in that conversation, I was walking around in the area where I live, bawling my eyes out. And I was, I just like be quiet and I said this conversation is now over and from now on I will mostly be in touch if there is you know anything of an emergency that I feel like you need to know about or uh in family gatherings yeah and after that she has been you know because she's been very I I would like to be closer to you and uh, even my adoptive father expresses that. And I've told them many times. But a couple of years ago, I said, okay, to be very clear, I try to separate between what I can or can't and what I will and won't. So I told them, I hear you. You would like a closer relationship and for us to be closer. For me, the bonds are too damaged. That doesn't mean. I don't wish you well. It doesn't mean I don't care for you. It doesn't mean I hate you. But it means that I need to put my own needs first. I need to protect it for yourself. myself. Yeah, I need it for myself. But also, as I believe it was Sarah mentioned, I am also a mother. So I need to do whatever I can to... Maintain my mental well being as best as I can. So I said to them that I can meet your needs by being more in touch, calling more often, meeting more often, but I won't do it because that will go on the behalf of myself. And what I want to give to my adoptive father, he is very, and he doesn't live far away from me. And I see him more often but he is very respective of that he says you know what as long as you're happy I am happy and then I need to deal with my own ish somehow by myself so that I appreciate I think it's harder for my adoptive mom and I do believe that no people are essentially inherently good or inherently bad and now it's just my interpretation but I see it as that they both have well in my opinion a lot of trauma before me uh, and it is not up to me to say how they have processed it or not because I don't really know and they also did some things in the adoption process that they are not allowed to by you know rules and regulations but they chose to do the opposite and it's a matter of when I confront them with that it's more like well that's over 30 years ago why do you care about that that's like well <laughs> it's kind of you know my life and yeah, so that's the, so I'm semi non-contact but it's very distant for instance it can go months and months uh, without no contact for no particular reason we just haven't been in contact and I sort of like oh I need to remind myself that uh, should I like ask how are you and of course if I had any bad news about them it's not like I would celebrate but I just don't feel connected no I don't so when things happen in my life for instance when I I'm also in reunion that's only like four months old so that's quite new they were not the first ones to know when I started my bachelor's degree, when I got accepted, that's uh, many years ago now, but uh, they were not the first to know. And it's not out of spite. So it's not like I'm thinking, huh, I'm not gonna tell them. It's more, it's, it's not like a natural instinct for me to just, oh, let me like call my parents. It's more like, oh, I should tell them too. After I told like my, my very close friends and stuff like that.
0: All right, um, real quick. I know you guys have your hands up, but Sarah Louisa just joined us. Can you give us just a real quick intro, Sarah?
1: Hi, um my name is uh Sarah Louise, and I'm from um I've been a adoptee for
2: oh since I was put into care, so I was an adoptee at
0: about I think I must have been about ten, but I got officially adopted when I was 14 you must be Irish or Scottish
1: no I'm Scottish
0: okay I know it was one of the two I love your accent <laughs> everybody right. thinks I'm Irish oh, that's a good thing <laughs> yeah, it's a little close I have a hard time deciphering the two but I know it's one or the other okay True. thank you um Maria or Ruth I forget not Maria Nikki I forgot which one of you had your hand up first but um you had something to add to Khaleesi, Khaleesi was talking and you guys put your hands up. Did you do you remember what you were gonna say? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, I did. Yeah, this is rude. Um, first of all, it's just always really good to be around other adaptees, you know, because I hear people talk and I wanna like I like I'm sweating. <laughs> I don't know if I want to cry or just sweat privately. Oh um, I think something that people tend to not grasp unless you're in the situation that most of this is not gradual. I mean, most of this is not sudden. It's a process. You know, I grew up hearing when we are, when you are 18, we have met our obligation. Well, what do you think that's setting me up for? That's setting me up to say, okay, bye. And I didn't do that because I married and had children and I wanted my children to have relationships With my parents and um whereas i didn't let them be with my mother alone it wasn't heavy-handed i was just always there and because we lived half a country apart it was pretty easy intentionally it was pretty easy to um control uh
0: distance helps
3: oh yeah (laughs) um because i got to decide when there was going to be contact and when there wasn't going to be contact my goal when i went to undergraduate school was i wanted to go someplace that was far away that my adoptive mother couldn't drive there (laughs) it's interesting motivation isn't it i know and when you tell that to people they're like you what and then when i'm in a group of adoptees i'm like "I'm i'm totally normal but for me the final blow was uh when my dad was dying my cousin showed up my cousins 2 i have two cousins first cousins they showed up my mother sat around with two women my mother sat around with them and talked about the um the wheeler women that was her maiden name and i thought okay so that's a little weird <laughs> because i'm not one of them and you're sitting here talking about me in front of me and uh we left, left, my one of my cousins and I left. She wanted, my, my mom asked me to give her something. And as we left, I was like, was that weird? Like, am I making this up? And she said, well, it was really weird for me to, to hear you spoken to like that. And I thought, you mean I didn't make it up? I'm not overreacting. I'm not too sensitive. I didn't make this up. And she was like, oh no, <laughs> no, you were not making it up. We got back to my house and in my living room, were all the holiday decorations from my childhood boxed up to give to my cousin. And my cousin was like, she's giving me your childhood. And I said, she is. And it was so clear to me then that we had pushed through another door and there wasn't any going back in the other direction that she was ending things. So um, I have chronic Lyme disease. And when I was in treatment, couldn't afford one of the meds. She's very wealthy. And uh, I wrote to her personal assistant, which is the MO. And um, she forwarded the letter and then called me to say, you're getting a letter from your mother. And the letter was, I'm at a point in my life where I'm focusing solely on myself and I don't need you to contact me again. And I went to a psychologist because I was freaking out.
0: And Wait, saying, you're an adoptive mom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I have the letter.
3: I'll go get it if you want. I- okay. And uh, the psychologist said to me, what do you need? And I said, I need to not be a shitty person. And he was like, I promise you, you're not a shitty person. And this was a really cruel thing for any daughter to receive, but particularly an adoptive
0: daughter. And at that point, I was done. Was there ever a time she wasn't focusing on herself? When I look
3: back on it, no. I didn't know that as a child, right? I just thought I was too needy, too emotional, too yeah.
0: sensitive. Me too.
3: I was just gaslit, mm-hmm. but I
0: didn't know
3: that that's what it
0: was. My so feelings I, didn't matter.
3: No, but I guess what I wanted to share is A, how thankful I am to be around other adoptees always. And then B is, it is, we're just not as harsh as people want us to be. We are not ungrateful bastards <laughs> We are kids who were dragged through 18 years till we aged out, left home, whatever. So that's all, but but thank you. Nikki, what did you want to add?
4: Um, thanks to you both for sharing, Khaleesi. Um, I often think the, the last conversation I had with my adoptive mother, she said, after all the trouble you've caused i still don't regret adopting you and so when your mom said that she wishes that you'd go back to it you know that kind of stuff i think that i'm I'm finding in, in, when i talk to adoptees like all of their parents have a certain amount of regret you know uh about adopting a kid so so i was just going to say why i'm no contact I was no contact starting at age 16. I ran away. The household was physically and there was uh, violence, physical violence, sexual violence. And then I went back to them when I was 21 because I was homeless and I had a baby. And I was there about six months and then moved out, started my life um, and kept in contact with them. I mean, I didn't it was kind of like the the energy had gone out, you know, the, the, the tension or whatever, the the anger, the, whatever it was, the fear I was grown up. Um, and we didn't process any, I didn't ever put it out there that I'd been assaulted by my father um, until I was pregnant, I think with my second child. So isn't it funny that when we have children, we start to process things, you know, and our, and we start thinking about boundaries not just for ourselves, but for our children. I don't mean to be um, over-explaining here or, or be drawing conclusions, but then when I and I, I was cordial to them for the next twenty-five years or so, and then and I had I had met my birth mother right around that time that my second child was born, but she didn't want to have anything to do with me. It was an immediate rejection. And then, but 25 years later, one of my birth mothers, ex-husbands told me who my birth father was. My birth mother wouldn't tell me. So he told me who my birth father was on his deathbed. And I met him and he had never married or had any other children. So I was to become his heir, but I, in order to, I had to vacate my adoption so, you know, I went to my, my adoptive parents and I said, Hey, I want to vacate my adoption. And for me, it was like, um, if my kids said my, I have two biological daughters. I mean, if they said, look, I want to, I could inherit this money, but I need to divorce you. I'd be like, okay, you can divorce me. You're still my daughter. You know, I still love you. I I, I figured it was just a piece of paper. We, we did this stipulation agreement, but they became very upset. And then my birth mother sued me to try and force them to readopt me that she wanted to undo the vacation it didn't affect it didn't affect the relinquishment i was relinquished at birth and i was in foster care for 3 years but um so then all the reasons why i don't love my adoptive parents why i thought they were awful parents all the memories of abuse and and in and it, the stipulation agreement just was signed by a judge and it was fine. But when my birth mother challenged it, then I started explaining all these other reasons because they're like, oh, you just want money. I'm like, well, no, I've got other reasons to want to, you know, vacate my adoption. And I changed um, my name back to my birth father's surname. But when, when I tried to talk to Doug and Phyllis, were their names, are their names, my former adoptive parents? This would have been 2017. They. My birth mother didn't remember me confronting her or sharing with her that I'd been abused. She forgot it. And so I told it to her again. And then the next time I saw her, she had forgotten it again. And my birth father was just or not birth. My former adoptive father was just livid, furious with me. Call me manipulative little bitch. You know, you always were. And so it was nonsensical to be in any sort of contact with them. I mean, it's like, why would I, why would I walk into fire? What, you know, why would I drink poison? So I haven't spoken to them since 2017. I'm sorry you went through all that. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, and I agree with what, uh, who's the woman who said it's a, it's a, not an immediate it's a it's a process. Right. So
0: I think we're conditioned to think that's not really an option <laughs> but it's a great option. We're conditioned to believe we owe them gratitude cuz like we're the little foundlings they were taken in or at least that's what society thinks. I'm trying yeah. to find an analogy because like they also had
4: two biological children mm-hmm. one older than me and one younger than me and they had thought that they couldn't conceive again, you know, and then I came along, and then my mother got my former adopted mother got pregnant, but they crossed lines with me, and they they treated me like just not. I mean, it's like the it's like the it's like going out and buying a an air mat to the air mess store and buying a Birken bag with the with the bag cover, you know, and really putting in the closet and taking care of it or going to the Goodwill and getting a secondhand coach bag and not really worrying if you spill your coffee on it. I mean, I don't know. That's a terrible analogy. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. But, but how do you they really
0: think we're already damaged goods? So well, kind of you know, so but that's the make- point they should that like there's this lack of. I mean, granted, like in this 50s, 60s, 70s, People weren't thinking about psychology the way they are now. They've learned a lot more. Um, But there was no education. Like, even when I was born in 71, my parents, and I'm sure with Sarah in the 90s, your parents weren't taught this child's experienced trauma. You need to understand they have suffered a loss and you need to parent differently. And like, they just assume you're going to be like, the any child they would have but you're not you know there's there's so much missing and it's just and they don't even want to think about that like the child's needs the actual child's needs the individual child they're like completely an afterthought you know we're just something they acquire or something um sarah you've got your hand up and i know khaleesi you do too but and give sarah a chance to talk real quick
5: um, I think, well, okay. Um, so I was going to say something, but then I kind of forgot what it was. So maybe I'll talk a minute and I'll remember. <laughs> 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 but um, what you said, Jen, just a second ago, like when I was a kid, they were starting to have like some limited conversations with foster parents, like, you know, limited classes and, and whatnot. Um, but it was very, very limited. And I remember a few years ago when I was still in contact um, All of my siblings are adopted as well, Um, and I have a biological half-brother. I have two biological half-brothers, and I was adopted with one of them, and um, he um, has always had behaviors around food, um, as have I, which is very common with foster care or people who were in foster care and foster care adoptees. Um, And I remember um, having a conversation with my adoptive parents about, you know, food trauma and about how like that stays with you and about, you know, that's probably where some of this is coming from for him. And this conversation when when he was like in his late 20s, this was this was a completely new concept for them. Having three adopted kids, all of whom were adults at that point, they had never considered, you know, there might be trauma around food. This might be something that we haven't considered before. And um, I just found that very, very interesting. Um, But I also kind of, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, a little bit more why I went no contact to. And somebody said something, I forgot who it was, that kind of triggered this um, thought process. I think for me, part of the reason I went no contact was because of how critical my adoptive parents were of my parenting of my kids. Um, And I think that goes back to um, some of the things that they would say to me as a kid. Um, All of my behaviors, all of my um, personality that they considered negative or different than them, very type A people. I'm kind of a type B person. um, it, It was always my biological parents' fault. Um, it was always, you know, I got that from my biological parents. I would always put kind of like a negative um, connotation to it whenever they would talk about the traits that they did not deem ideal in me. Um, and, you know, it was for me, it was one thing when I was a kid, um, when I was a young adult, before I was a parent. Um, but then when I started parenting differently than they did, Um, and they started being, they started being critical of my parenting when I affirm my kids feelings. Um, and I continue to stress to my kids, you are loved. This was a mistake. This is how you, this is what we do next time. Um, you know, just having these conversations with my kid and actually acknowledging that my children are human beings and not props. Uh, they have things to say about that. Um, and, um, it, it kind of just would always bring me back to those conversations of you're different than us. You're different than us. You're different than us. Um, and that's why I think that's another reason that I'm realizing in this conversation that um, I decided to go no contact. And it was really interesting um, too, because my, my husband hadn't always seen, um, he, you know, he had, he had heard me talk about some of the things with my adoptive parents gaslighting me um, and some of the issues with my adoptive parents, but he hadn't seen it a whole lot. He had just noticed some things that were a little weird, a little bit off. Um, But they came over for a conversation one night about a year and a half ago. Um, And that's when, that's when he saw it for what it really was. And um, some of you guys have seen Gabe on TikTok as he does a periodic cameo. Um, But he's he's a very laid back person. He's very he's very chill. Um, I have never seen him get that angry before. Um, And it was at his in-laws, my parents, no less. Um, And I felt so validated in that moment, while at the same time also feeling so hurt by my parents. Um, And it was I think it was the first time in my life that I ever felt validated in my feelings regarding my parents um and and how they would treat me like I didn't matter, my thoughts didn't matter, my feelings didn't matter, if it interfered with how they um thought about themselves as parents, if that makes any sort of sense. Um, and Nikki just asked me, Sarah Jo, did your APs know who your BPs were? Um, that's a really good question. They had met them a handful of times, particularly my, um, biological dad. They had met a handful of times. My biological dad tried to maintain an open adoption really hard. My adoptive parents did not push for maintaining that. They actively would ignore him when he would call or email. Um, he would send me like cards and stuff on my birthday and gifts periodically, um, for Christmas and whatnot. Um, and they would give me those, but they would never write back, let them know that I was okay. And um, this is another thing that I don't, this is another thing that I have such a hard time with. Um, they, Them not communicating with my biological dad is um, what drove him into a lot of his mental illness, a lot of his substance use. Um, a lot of the things that made him into the person that they said he was when he wasn't that person yet, if that makes sense. Um, and in in the process of them telling me when I was a small child, he's a drug addict, he has problems with alcohol, he's crazy. Like, And at this point, when I was little, he wasn't to that point yet. He wasn't an addict. He didn't have mental health issues um to the the severity that they were stressing um it it made me scared of him um because of how they they talked about him um and when i was in middle school he was just so stressed out because he hadn't heard anything in years from my adoptive parents about me he didn't know if i was okay um so he came to the school that he thought i was going to and um I don't know what his actual motives were. There were some conversations that he was trying to kidnap me. He said years later, he just wanted to see me to make sure I was okay. Um, But um, that made me really, really scared of him. In addition to what my APs had told me about him. Um, And it, that's some, that's another reason that I went, I kind of went no contact because like, how messed up is that, that you make your, you make your adopted kids like fear, actually fear the people that they came from. And then, you know, turn around after your adopted kid turns 18, uh, they're in their twenties, they want to meet their biological parent and then all of a sudden act supportive. Like that's kind of fucked up. It felt really fucked up. It still feels kind of fucked up. Um, and I, I'll be the first to admit I haven't fully processed it yet. Um, but it's just kind of where I'm at. and I have a really, really, really hard time um, even talking about it because I'm I'm so angry. I hold so much anger and resentment about their attitudes and actions towards my biological parents. Um, and now my biological dad is dead and I can't I can't try to make up for any of that lost time. That's totally
0: understandable. Um, I'd I'd probably be pissed off, too. (laughs) You just made me think, like, my adoptive mom was extremely critical of everything. And I'll be honest, the only time since they've passed. Now, my dad, I was very close to, but he died when I was 19. And that's a whole other can of worms but i really the only time i've missed my adoptive mom was the night before my c section when i had my child um, i really was feeling like i should have a parent here you know i shouldn't be going through this like by myself and i mean i was and i had my partner but you know it's just, it, it's not the same as like having your mom you know and um then times while he was an infant like they would have just loved to have seen him and they loved babies so much um so thanks for sharing all that sarah khaleesi you'd you'd raised your hand about uh while sarah was talking and then michelle had something to say too after that
1: uh yeah uh everyone thank you for sharing so far and it's also interesting for me to be i'm sorry in this particular group of adoptees as i understand it i am the only transnational adoptee here and also the only one not adopted in the United States so it's interesting for me to hear about you know details around the baby scoop era I've read about it and all of that um, but Ruth mentioned something about uh, now I can remember the context around but there's something about she questioned uh, if it was with your therapist like am I too sensitive and the therapist said no you are not and that just reminded me uh, about how I often uh, asked myself that, um, not only in relation to my adoptive parents, but maybe in particular, and uh, especially with my mother. And last year I had Instagram, now I don't, and it's not because of my adoptive mother, just to be clear. But then I posted a lot of, um, well, uh, critical aspects of the adoption system, and something specifically related to uh, to Norway. And in a phone call, she just and I can't remember if that's why we had the conversation. But anyway, she like she was angry. She was like, "I see what you post. How can you be so horrible posting all those horrible things?" I was like, "I'm, I'm critiquing a system. Uh, <laughs> what's with you?" And obviously. It is quite common from where a huge network of adoptees in Norway too and we see often that for those of us who first and foremost focus on critiquing the system a lot of adaptive parents become very triggered by that. So I told her uh, I'm not receiving that you can choose not to to follow my account or whatever but no and goodbye. And then after um, I found my biological mother again, which is an illegal adoption because my biological mother was told, I learned when once I talked to her, that she was told I was stillborn. And she never got to see me. So uh, I have also always believed that the birth name I was given was given to me by her, since it's her last name. But she was like, no, I never... I never gave you your birth name. Those who took you did that. And as per usual, uh, others learned about my uh, me finding my biological mother again before my adoptive parents. I before I told them. I told them before I posted a photo on my Facebook. As I did, I was like, okay. To be fair, I'd like you to know, not from Facebook. And then, of course, they found that that's you know, the events that took place in in Colombia and the reason for my adoption was, you know, horrible. And I do believe that they think so. Um, And then when I spoke to my mother on the phone, um, she was like, we didn't know anything about that. And I was like, of course we didn't. To be fair, in those situations, adoptive parents have trusted the system that they have good faith in, Uh, so obviously they couldn't know what happened in Colombia. But also, she was like, I didn't know anything about all these bad things happening. And then I was like, "Uh, didn't you just like yell at me last year for posting critical things about the system amongst those? such things illegal adoptions including but not limited to kidnapping stolen children falsified documents and now all of a sudden it's so horrible that kind of that that annoyed me and I think it was uh uh to Nikki uh, she's asking in the chat were you trafficked uh I would say yes I um and I suspected there was something. It, something felt fishy about my papers, but it was impossible for me to know what that was because they seem legitimate enough. Um, but it says the thing that made me sort of question things is it said that a lady saying my mother's name, that that was her name, but she, she couldn't identify herself. And that was maybe not necessarily uncommon in Colombia at the time in the eighties, but she had uh, been to a hospital, so why didn't she have any, you know, papers, nothing to sort of document whatever? And so, yeah, my mother told me that she had given birth behind a sheet, I suspect, something like when you do a C-section. And then they had taken me out. A person had come back in and said, you, you had a girl. Um, and her name is, yeah, I won't say it now. And, but she's dead. And then my mom told me that she had begged to see me. It's not uncommon to see your child, even if it's stillborn. But they had denied her that because obviously I was not dead. And then two days after my birth, I was given to the orphanage where I lived until I was nine months old. <clears throat> and that brings me to... I believe it might might have been you, Nikki, who said you changed your name back to... Your birth name, yeah, and um, I have changed my name many times. Like, my middle name, I have quite decided, but in 2012, I changed because I got you know my birth name, and then when I came to Norway, I was given a new first name, and then my first name from Colombia was my middle name, and then got my Norwegian last name. In 2012, I changed my first name because i didn't feel like the norwegian first name i was given it is really nice name it's pretty and it's quite rare so in that sense it's nice but it didn't feel like me and i didn't quite grasp okay why was that me but now that i'm also more out of the fog and by that i also realized more the magnitude of my my trauma related to adoption specifically I realized that from what um, my uh, the me as a child with that name, what she experienced, I found it so horrible that I distanced myself from it to the extent that I changed my first name. And I love my first name now, so I haven't regretted it. And then I think it was last year I decided to take my last name from Colombia as my last name uh, now, here in Norway. And that's uh, that's my mother's last name, my birth mom's. And uh, talking about being too sensitive, my um, when I told my adopted mom that, my adopted dad was like, okay, sure, that's, he is very supportive with that. But she was like, she called me and she was like, you don't wanna be a part of this family anymore? Why are you doing that? And I was like, oh. <laughs> help it's like what else do I got at that time I didn't know anything you know about my birth mom or anything it was like that's the response you give me and now oh yeah I realize due to the adoption you don't have anything else and that's the one thing you can sort of hold on to and that was not mainly the reason I took my Colombian last name as my last name now because I didn't want to be a part of my adoptive family, it was mainly because, okay, I'll take what I can take from my, you know, background, and that's a name, but as I reflected upon it a little bit, I think that is also a part of the reason, not mainly the reason, but I wanted to distance myself and be my, like, own person, so it's a kind of, that's another way maybe that has marked my well, semi-non-contact that I, now I'm, you know, myself. And I find that the I'm not, as you now know, not full, no-contact. But now that I also <clears throat> uh, connected with my biological mom, and she, as of now, she is, of course, she's a stranger. And she is very warm, and she's very, uh, I see a lot of myself in her. But still, she's a stranger. So I, I don't call her mom to... Her. I say that when I talk to other people, but it does it feel so unnatural for me to say it to her, and probably because then it feels like it's all more real. And then I just realized that um and I feel I feel like uh almost uh ugh, now I couldn't find a word, but I realized that I've never felt so alone yet not because now at least on paper in theory whatever you want or in life i have two i've two sets of parents but i am close to neither for very different reasons with my birth mom i'm not close to her because well i'm adopted and you cannot work in decades And, of course, because I'm adopted from a country who does not speak the same language as I normally do, we cannot really communicate efficiently. And so I feel like, shit. So I think that's also why I have some issues with going full non-contact, if I were to, like, not include my child in that, because then I feel like, then I have nobody.
0: Elise, you're your mom's
1: you or your yeah, mom? We we with. look a lot alike. It's crazy.
0: So we're going to stop there for now. It's really difficult to know where's a good place to leave off. Um, but we will resume with part two. Um, I will upload it sometime next week. A lot of adoptees wanted to be involved in this conversation. But either a technical issue or miscommunication, I'm not sure exactly what happened, or schedule conflict, because I do sometimes plan these kind of spontaneously, and I apologize for that. But I'm going to, in the meantime, between now and next week, try to figure out a way to capture more people's voices in regards to this particular topic, because a lot of people seem to have a lot to say about cutting contact with adoptive parents. So until the next episode, I hope that you are well and you can participate in um, conversation. If you're listening on Spotify, there is a little place where you can type up something if you want to and share your story.